Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. Haunted places can be scary enough, but sometimes the history of these haunted places is even scarier. Now Parachute presents In Search of the Paranormal with special guest Richard Estep. Hey, Parafans. Welcome to another episode of Paratruth Radio. And I am running solo again. Like I said last week, Eric is out for a while. So uh, I'm hoping that he is back soon after all of his different uh, obligations for directing and helping other people out on their movies. Action! So uh, we do have a great guest coming on this week. Uh, his name is Richard Estep, and he is the author of In Search of the Paranormal. Uh, Richard's been in the paranormal since 1995. Uh, he uh, started in the UK and spent five years investigating that in Great Britain. Uh, in 1999, he moved to the U.S. and started the Boulder County Paranormal Research Society in 2006 with his wife, Laura. And uh, he's wrote several books. Uh, Agonal Breath. The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, The Beast of Mysore, Haunted Longmont, and again, the most recent, uh, In Search of the Paranormal. So, uh, gonna have a great show tonight. Uh, always love having paranormal investigators on, uh, to pick their brain. So, uh, without further ado, let's go to the line with Richard Estep. All right, Richard, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about you? I'm very, very good. I am happy to have you on tonight. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where you can they can find your book, uh, In Search of the Paranormal, and all that great stuff before we get started. Thank you. So I love it when people drop by and visit me at my online home. That is www.richardestep.net. So richardestep.net. And uh, they can find the book there as well, correct? Uh, they can find all of my books. I'm currently working on my sixth. Awesome. All right. So uh, just to get started here, you started uh, Boulder County Paranormal Research 
Society in 2006. Um, and you kind of started researching in 1995 into the paranormal. So, um, I wanted to touch a little base, uh, a little bit on that before we got started into the actual book. Sure. So, um, I came to the States in 1999 and the, this was right around the time that most haunted and uh, ghost hunters, uh, started to appear on the scene. Um, they got pretty popular around about 2000, as I recall. And so the scene in the States was a little bit different to that in the UK. And so I hooked up with a team here in the US, uh, a group called Rocky Mountain Paranormal, and learned their methods of investigation. And then having a slightly different philosophy, I ended up branching off in 2006 and forming my own research team. So what was the different difference in philosophy as far as the two, the two groups? Well, I know that um, I consider myself to be a skeptic. Um, I think that they are a little more hardline skeptic than I am. Oh, okay. Uh, which there is absolutely a need for that approach, too, in this profession. Right. Uh, I've employed some different methods that they have. And recently, particularly during the writing of In Search of the Paranormal, I've done some things I've never considered doing in the past, like actually using a Ouija board um, and, and those less traditional, or I should say less scientific methods mm-hmm. of investigating. So uh, getting into the, the book In Search of the Paranormal, uh, what kind of got you started writing in the paranormal first off? So I'd, I, I've always enjoyed the work of writers like Peter Underwood, um, the, the great ghost hunters of old that would just write the, the books that I grew up on. I don't know if you're familiar with him because he's not as um, popular on this side of the Atlantic as in the UK. And sadly, we just lost Peter Underwood. Um, oh, wow. I say it was last year. But he is one of the greats and pro- was very prolific. Essentially, his life's work became traveling the UK and documenting the legends, the ghost stories um, from the ground. You know, he would spend nights in these haunted houses and write about them. And this just fired my imagination and passion when I was a young boy. And to, to this day, I think he's my favorite writer on all things paranormal. And I wanted to follow in, in his footsteps. Okay. All right. So at the beginning of the book, you talk about the first time uh, you ever saw a, a dead body in real life, and it was your grandfather when you were around 16. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys ever have any activity going on after he passed, and that's kind of what sparked your your interest in the paranormal? Or Actually, none whatsoever. Um, I still miss my grandfather to this day and my grandmother too, but the, the that I did have growing up was something I was looking for but didn't find. As I outlined in the book, I was um, my stepfather, his mom and dad lived in a city called Hull, and uh, they had a very, very haunted house. But that was after the Second World War, and they still have the house um, in the family to this day. Uh, I'm very sad to say that my grandmother actually passed on yesterday, oh. and I don't know what's going to happen to that place. Um, but it's interesting that my stepfather and his brothers and sisters all had tales to tell of this ghostly lady that would took them into bed at night, um, a very maternal spirit that would keep an eye on the children of the house, if you will. So when I heard those stories and I was staying in that same house and those same guest bedrooms, albeit 20 something years later after the activity had died away, I would lie there awake at at night, half terrified that I would encounter the the ghost of the old lady and half kind of hoping that I would. (laughs) 
if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, most people that are curious about ghosts or the paranormal kind of wish it to happen, even though they, they, in secret they're they're scared of it happening as well. <laughs> um, and I think we're, we're all we're all that way. There's a fear of the unknown, isn't there? That yeah. is wired into us. It's in our very DNA. Right. Uh, I think we're all, no matter how brave you are, we're all slightly scared of the dark. It's, yeah. it's a survival mechanism, if nothing else. Yep. And getting into the paranormal years ago, as I did, um, even just makes it that much worse for me being in the dark, especially by myself. So, <laughs> um, a couple of the places that you uh, wrote in the book that kind of interested me, which I, I figured we could uh, cover a little bit. Uh, the first one is uh, the the return to the demon church. Um, Tell me a little bit about that place. Well, that's the, that's a very sensational um, title, isn't it? And I stole that unapologetically from a local newspaper article which covered it. That was the name of the article, Return to the Demon Church. Uh, the church itself is called St. Botolph's, and it is in a place called Skidbrook, Lincolnshire, uh, in the UK. It was a couple of hours' drive from where I was living at the time and where I grew up. Now, there was a book, which I believe is now out of print, um, called Ghostbusters UK. <laughs> uh, and it documented the adventures of a team that investigated in the area, and they first broke the case of St. Botolph's Church. Or Everybody seemed to refer to it as Skidbrook Church at that time. And they had, after a hair-raising night, they ended up having some green gaseous form, they say, came up out of one of the desecrated graves in the churchyard, and their team fled um, fled in the middle of the night uh, from this thing. And so that sounded like exactly the sort of place that I wanted to cut my teeth as a new investigator. And I was fortunate enough to be offered a spot on a team called Spectre um, that was going to do just that, that was going to investigate that church. Now, in that church, did you guys get any type of activity at all or very little? Absolutely, we did. And we, we'd gone several times, and some visits were more active than others. Um, but things that stand out in my mind particularly was, I think that, uh, firstly, the church had been desecrated quite badly. Um, gravestones had been smashed in. Human excrement had been, or at least I'm assuming it was human, but excrement of some type had been thrown across the walls. There were occult symbols sprayed everywhere. Candles indicating rituals had been performed there. And perhaps most worryingly of all, as far as I'm concerned, um, several chickens that had had their heads sliced off, not bitten off by an animal, but sliced off neatly and had been laid out in the churchyard. Uh, so I was already kind of concerned about the place when, when we went. Uh, we experienced some very bizarre activity, and perhaps my favorite involves the fact that another investigator and I were rounding the church on a patrol, just looking at what, whatever might be going on at the time, and somebody came up on the radio and said, Richard, who is that behind you? Who is the tall figure standing between the two of you? And so my blood turned to ice, and I, I whirled around, waiting for my holy grail moment of coming face-to-face -face with an apparition, and there was nobody there. And yet this investigator insisted that a tall figure, and I'm 6'3", so this would have to be something, she said it was a head taller than I was, so this would have to be something 6'5", six, 6'6". Um, that had been cowled or hooded like a monk had been following us around the church. And, and the way she described it strikes in my memory an image of um, 
the Dementors from the Harry Potter movies, you I was, know? I was going to say the Grim Reaper, yeah. Well, the Grim Reaper or something like that, but perhaps more prosaically, a very tall monk. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I never did see this figure, but she was adamant that it had followed the two of us around the corner of that church. Hmm. Now, with the the chickens, do you think that was just a a ploy from some teenage kids? Do you think there was some type of devil worship going on there since it was a decrepit church? What do you think that was? Well, you know, it's entirely possible that it was just local children because the church, after the publication of that book, it gained a reputation and it became the fun thing to do for thrill seekers um, to go up there of a of an evening and um, see what they could find. So, however, I also couldn't rule out that there was a genuine uh, coven mm. practicing up there. What ultimately happened, and I, I based this upon newspaper reports because I kept in touch with the church via Google. What ultimately happened was that the locals basically had enough. And around Halloween, when this activity reached ahead, they would basically barricade the church off and they would prevent anybody from getting in there. Um, some good friends of mine recently visited the UK and had a, the opportunity to visit that church in the daytime, and it has since been restored. Uh, most of the damage has been put right, and now it's it's a lovely old church again, which appears not to be paranormally active. Hmm. But if you uh, if you go to YouTube or if you go to Google and you put in St. Botolph's Church Skidbrook, you can find quite a few personal experiences um, that people have had over the last 15 to 20 years there. Wow. All right. One of the other ones I wanted to, to touch on really fast before we go to first break here is uh, the uh, the Battle of Edge Hill, and mm. um, I I'm a huge buff when it, history buff when it comes to uh, a lot of the um, civil wars, either the English Civil War or the, the American Civil War. Um, because there is so much activity that goes on on battlefields. Mm-hmm. Um, what what type of activity did you guys have there? Uh, virtually none. And, I, and you say you guys. So this was, um, it's a fairly quiet chapter in the book, and I'm mainly talking about the legends that surround that battlefield and the, the historical haunting. I had a very cold, windy night there in my car, <laughs> waiting for something to happen and didn't. Oh. So, so my personal experiences are absolutely minimal. But the tale of Edge Hill itself deserves to go down uh, in the paranormal history books as I think one of the most fascinating cases of um, of a recording type haunting. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, even today, what's quite interesting is that the phenomena was spectacular in the aftermath of the battle. You had these two ghost armies clashing in the sky above Edge Hill battlefield, uh, and if you read the book, you'll you'll know, of course, that. The king himself, having heard these stories, sent a royal commission to investigate to see if there was any truth to this. And he actually sent some of the um, soldiers that had been present on the day at the Battle of Edge Hill, and they saw themselves as part of the imagery that was that was being replayed, which tells us so much about the nature of that phenomena, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there are there are people that believe in in the uh what you would call the residual haunting or there are people that that don't um you know i I personally feel that something that's traumatic it's Mm -hmm. gonna leave an imprint on time you know 
And, uh, that's, I mean, the same thing, um, for the, the American Civil War and, um, the different battlefields where people claim to hear gunshots and, and people yelling and uh-huh. all this other stuff. It's, it's very fascinating. Well, and I, and I think that we're guilty as a, as a profession, the paranormal research field, we're guilty of lumping the term ghost and haunting. It's an umbrella term. Right. And, you know, in the same way that you and I are talking right now over Skype, we're using a medium to transmit our voices and it's being recorded. Mm. We could also do it with pictures, although we're choosing not to. Yeah. We could also do this in person. There are so many ways that we can record uh, communications. And I think that apparitions and hauntings are very similar in that way. We have those that are interactive, which obviously we can communicate with. We have those that appear to be just vocal. Mm. So we're hearing the aftermath of an event many years later. We have others where we see, hear, smell, sense, touch, feel. Different senses are engaged. So I think we could all do a better job of, of clarifying when we talk about phenomena, what type of haunting is it? You know, which senses are engaged and and how much of the original um, subject of the haunting was, was uh, recorded, for want of a better term, in the atmosphere of a place. Yeah, and I I agree 100%. I mean, you can't really determine what type of haunting you have until you you go there and uh, just kind of determine what type of activity you're getting. Um, all right, folks, uh, I'm talking to Richard Astaff of Bosbuck in search of the paranormal. We're going to take our first break here and listen to Eric's Random Fact of the Day. We will be right back. Coffee is the most popular drink in the world. But have you ever wondered where the word coffee comes from? According to BuzzFeed.com, it all began with the Arabic word Kawat Alban, which means wine of the bean. It was then shortened to Kawa, borrowed by Turkish Kav, borrowed by Dutch, coffee, with a K, then eventually translated to the English word, coffee. Hey there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. All right, folks. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. I've been talking to Richard Estep about his book, In Search of the Paranormal. Uh, now, Richard, one of the last 
chapters uh, in the UK that you talk about is uh, the Tower of London, which is known for its bloodshed. Um, and uh, so tell us a little bit about, about the Tower of London. Well, I think that if any building in the world has a claim to being the world's most haunted, and that's a debate that we could have for hours right. around the table, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's probably the ultimate pub debate or bar debate for, for those of us that love this field. But I think the Tower of London has a genuine claim. And it isn't hard to see why when you investigate the history of the tower, you have so much, not only death um, that has taken place there, but also torture. It was a, a functioning torture chamber, for want of a better word, for generations. Some of the original equipment would still survive. So um, you look at just the bloody history of the tower and the amount of misery, despair, loneliness, death that took place there. It would be remarkable if the place weren't haunted. And... What impresses me also is the caliber of the witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the men and women who safeguard the tower, those are called the yeoman warders, although everybody else seems to refer to them as beef eaters, because we're all familiar with that image, right, of the red uh, beef eater with the pike staff and the hat. Right. The, their actual term is yeoman warders. And, and what many people don't know is they're essentially the queen's um, own personal police force. Mm-hmm. They not only guard the monarch, but they guard the crown jewels. So they are, um, all of them, in order to even be eligible to apply, you have to be a senior non-commissioned officer in the British military, one of the branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines, with exemplary conduct for 20 years before they will even consider you. So the type of individual that gets into that position is usually not a fanciful you know, wishy-washy, um, fabulist. These are hard-nosed, hard-headed men and women with extensive military experience. And when they start reporting ghost stories, uh, we'd better listen to them. Right. And so the best stories from the tower all come from them. Now, in uh, all of your research and, and getting uh, the different stories from uh, from the tower, what were the, the most fascinating to you? Well, my... F- my favorite where to start, but my favorite involved the um, the uh, yeoman warder that was taking his son on a uh, night on his rounds at night and uh, was in a part of the tower where the two princes um, were believed to have been murdered. And uh, he was doing whatever it was that his duties entailed while his young son was was uh, playing around. And uh, pardon me, you can hear my cat meowing in the yeah. background. It's awesome. Um and was getting ready to move on to another part of the tower and said to his son, come on, it's time to go. And his son said, hey, Dad, just hold on a minute. I'm playing with the two boys. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, that part of the tower, they found two boys' skeletons when they were performing renovations, and those skeletons were subsequently buried in Westminster Abbey. Oh, wow. Hmm. So that's just one of the tales, but there are so many. Um, if you go to visit the tower, and if you're in London, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Taking the Yeoman Warders guided tour is a must because they will quite happily tell you of all the history, including the ghost sightings. But if you go on a day when it's raining, as we did on one visit, they open up a chapel called St. Peter Advincula, St. Peter in Chains. That is a chapel which is still in use today as a working church. It's where church services are held. It's where yeoman warders, um, children and grandchildren are baptized. And the altar there is where um, Anne Boleyn is actually buried beneath it, um, the body of Anne Boleyn. And that chapel itself was the scene of a great ghost sighting um, several decades ago 
when an army officer was making his rounds at night and happened to see light coming from the chapel, and he peeked in through the windows and reported seeing a ghostly procession of historical figures, um, including what looked like a headless Anne Boleyn at the head of the procession moving down the aisle of the chapel. Hmm. So again, army officers traditionally, remember that these guys uh, and ladies also these days, but they are guarding not only the crown jewels, but the queen herself. Right. So if they're suddenly seeing ghosts, and <laughs> um, we either believe them or there is a very real problem, you know. And, right. and speaking of which, the centuries at the tower throughout history, um, one century very famously fainted on duty because he saw um, a headless female figure coming at him through the mist. He tried to, <laughs> tried to approach her with his bayonet. The bayonet went right through. And uh, he fainted. Now, um, certainly in those days, if you faint on sentry or if you're caught sleeping on sentry, that is an extremely severe offense. But there were multiple witnesses that, that came forward that had also seen this ghostly apparition. Oh, okay. Well, and I mean, these guys are, you know, known for standing guard at the, the Royal Palace as well. You know, they're not supposed to react to people coming up to them and everything else. So... When they, when they have stories, I, I have no doubt <laughs> that they're coming right. for a reason. And here in the states, um, about ten years ago, I was I was fortunate enough to investigate the residential housing up in Wyoming at uh, Warren Air Force Base. Now, Warren Air Force Base is the the continental United States' oldest continuously functional military establishment, and was back then a cavalry fort. Um, right now, though, they Warren is where a lot of the U.S. Air Force's ICBMs are kept. So when you get to hear ghost stories from the MPs at Warren, yeah. you're getting them from the men and women who are thoroughly psychologically evaluated because they are protecting America's nuclear safeguards. Oh, okay. How would you get a more reliable witness than right. someone through all of those psychological screenings? Right. Well, and that, I mean, that's one thing in the paranormal that, I mean, most people don't, kind of realize too that you can't go do an investigation for somebody but you have to kind of evaluate their mental stability as well because they can be seeing things that aren't there Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it's paranormal activity well that's true and as a paramedic what i bring to my team is i conduct an evaluation of the client's medical history um including looking at the medications they're taking and it is amazing how many medications have a side effect of high or low-grade hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's important to remember that we can hallucinate with any of our senses, it, not simply seeing things that aren't there, but hearing, smelling, or um, feeling things that aren't there also. Right. So you know, you, you have to look at that, and it's certainly a factor that you weigh when you're trying to conclude, is there genuine paranormal activity at this location or not? Right, right. And, uh, you know... When I when I had a paranormal group with my cousin Eric, who is my also my co-host, and he's gone for a while, uh, you know, we went into a residence uh, where a young boy was being uh, affected, and we didn't really get any activity there. But you know, the the boy was being scared by whatever was there, and you know, the parents were worried. Uh, as far as we could tell, you know, there was no mental instability there. So, you know, when a child is involved is when 
something, you know, should be done as well, where a lot of, you know, these TV shows and uh, other paranormal groups, they they just kind of go with the flow of when they get the the, uh, the cases in, not necessarily making it a priority for if there's children involved. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, when there are children involved, my team basically prioritizes that as our number one case. Um, research is our secondary goal. The main concern we always have is that if people are afraid in their own home, that is something that has to be addressed immediately. Um, and that goes doubly so when there are children that are afraid to sleep in their own beds. Right. And, of course, we're all familiar that children, some of them have, well, actually almost all of them have very active imaginations. Um, but I write fiction. I have an active imagination too. Right. It doesn't mean they aren't experiencing something paranormal. Right. It just means you have to factor that into the claims that they're making. Yeah. Um, and I learned uh, as a paramedic and as an EMT before that, you learn how to get medical history questions out of children in such a way that you can filter out the truth from, shall we say, the more creative aspects. Mm. Um, and it's definitely an acquired art. Um, there are a number of people, though, that are trained to do it. Teachers are very good at that. Um, police officers are very good at that. Anybody that has a background in and communicating with children. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very high priority. And I've always thought that how many of the imaginary friends that children's have, that children have are not entirely imaginary. Right. And that's, that was actually a question I was going to ask. Do you, do you think that a, a lot of cases of kids who have imaginary friends are more of a haunting type situation or is it just their imagination going awry? I don't know that I would say a lot because I don't know that I could put a number on it, but I certainly think that a percentage of them are genuine. Um, a fellow investigator of mine told me a story once that chilled me rather. He was investigating a case um, in my hometown of Leicester where the children of the house were complaining um, about black children. And their mom was like, you know, you can't actually say that. That's <laughs> That sounds a little bit, um, a little bit racist. You know, don't say black children. <laughs> It turns out, though, that when they did the research into the history of the property many, many, many years before, there had been a house fire in which a number of children had burned to death. Oh, well, that would explain that. <laughs> well, the the phrase took on an entirely different right. <laughs> significance then. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh you know, when you're a kid too, you know, you're only, you're describing what you're seeing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not intentionally meant to, to hurt or be racist or anything like that. Children do just say what they see. It's a wonderful endearing feature that I'm not entirely sure we should grow out of. Right. Right. And you know, one, one aspect of myself is, that I, I kind of probably never grew out of that. I always tell it like it is and tell, you know, say what I see. And I, some people might be offended by that. You know, I, I can see their perspective on that, but sure. you know, I, it just pops out of my mouth. Like I can't stop it from happening. So, um, one thing that, uh, really caught my attention is, uh, you know, at the end of the book, you, you mentioned, you know, I hope you enjoy looking through these cases. Uh, you know, as you can see, unlike the TV shows, you don't always get loads and loads of, uh, evidence. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. You know, we've talked to, uh, several 
paranormal investigators who bring the topic up, you know, because we, we asked the question, you know, do you guys think that uh, you guys get a lot of evidence? And more times than not, it's we do, but it's not like on the shows. So for people who are interested in the paranormal or getting into paranormal investigation, um, what type of advice could you give to them? Because, you know, these people are thinking, oh, we're going to have hours and hours of evidence. Learn how to be bored. Um, <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness. Uh, I'm a volunteer firefighter myself. In fact, I'm going to my firehouse for a shift after this interview. Um, and if you believe what you see on TV – Firefighters are forever running into exploding, burning structures. You know, mm-hmm. in reality, that's a very, very small percentage of what we do. You are you are going to spend times more in training than you are inside burning buildings. That's just the nature of, of, of the reality of the job. And yet, if you watch TV shows and documentaries, what do they do? They'll take a month in a firehouse and they'll edit it down to 45 minutes of high drama and excitement. Mm-hmm. And the same is true, I think, with the ghost hunting shows. You know, we spend hour upon hour upon hour of researching the location, looking through records, interviewing witnesses. None of it really is dramatic, for want of a better word. None of it is sexy, you know, in terms of ratings. Right. And yeah, and and then there is this very small subset where we do have activity going on that we can't explain, um, and we do have evidence that is coming up that is genuinely impressive. But in order to get there, you have to sieve for that gold. You have to get through a lot of garbage in order to get to the good stuff. And I think that not everybody has a patience for it, particularly if their expectations have been set by what they've seen on TV. Right. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that got me and Eric started into the paranormal is, you know, seeing these groups doing what they're doing, uh, kind of talking about it back and forth, our experiences. And uh, it... it it is one of those things where you don't really understand until you go and do it. But, you know, as time went on, we started to understand, okay, it's not like the TV shows. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times with these shows, I know a couple of them who've faked evidence mm-hmm. for the ratings. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that it's like, you know, if I could tell anybody anything, don't go by what's on the TV shows. No, um, and I, I like to say as an exercise in critical thinking, some of these, and I love those shows too, Justin, you know, um, I will absolutely watch them. I, I refer to them as location porn <laughs> because I sit there and drool at some of the places they get into to investigate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a good example of a show that did it right, in my opinion, was Ghost Lab. I really enjoyed Ghost Lab. Um, had two seasons. There are other shows that have now run for well over 10 seasons. Right. And if you look at the early seasons of those shows, you see far more instances when the investigators were saying, you know, we got nothing. We, we came up totally dry. And then you look at later seasons of those shows. So you, you fast forward a decade where the ratings are still high. Otherwise they wouldn't be around after 10 years. Right. And you're seeing something every week. Now what changed? And I know that the the answer that some of those um, TV personalities will give you is that we're just attracting paranormal activity more because we live it. Right. Um, yeah. There may be an element of truth to that. There may not. I think that's a question for debate. Um, and I'm not casting aspersions on anybody's integrity, but it is awfully interesting, isn't it, that the first few years when you're up and running, you're coming up dry a heck of a lot more. Right. 
And then as the pressure to deliver ratings and keep an audience interested grows, you suddenly start finding more and more. Right. So I think that that's a, it's a very interesting correlation. Right. Well, and I do agree too. Like, uh, I, I do feel that the the more you get into this field, the more you open yourself up to things. So the more you're kind of attracting those things to you, and you can bring stuff home with you if you're not careful as well. Um, and Eric would probably kill me for not for not asking. Uh, so I'm going to ask. He comes from a Christian perspective, where he feels that uh, all hauntings are are demonic. That human spheres cannot possibly stay here. Um, in in your opinion, do you think it could be a possibility that demons are just deceiving us and we're just playing into that role? I think that they're very busy if that's the case. <laughs> um, I think all human beings, we filter our evidence and we, our critical thinking is all colored by our um, frame of reference. So whether you are a Christian, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist um, or whatever, you are going to filter your findings through that frame of reference. Um, so I, I know that um, I've worked with a number of investigators who are also um, of a Christian faith, and I respect everybody's faith. Um, and so they tend to use the word demon a great deal more. As an agnostic, I tend not to, and I tend to say, to quote Robert A. Heinlein, what is the evidence into how many decimal places? So I do not believe that whatever it is we are communicating with is entirely demonic. I respect the beliefs of those that do think that. Right. But, but it's not where my investigations, It's that's not a point to which I've been led. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I'm on the same belief you are. I, I consider myself a Christian because I do believe in, in God and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But from my different experiences even through uh before i i got saved and you know even after uh i tend to see things a little bit more uh analytically than than some other christians tend to uh and i i as well i don't disrespect anybody's beliefs uh you know that's why me and eric kind of started this new show because we kind of debate back and forth from a christian view and the view of what we call the mainstream on the paranormal um because there are so many different beliefs out there you need to get it all out and let people decide for themselves yeah and, and i think ultimately that's what any good investigator does in any field isn't it um if you're looking at a criminal investigator, they lay out the evidence for a jury and make a case. Right. Um, even those investigators, though, they are going to be coming down on the side of guilt or innocence. And, and we are the same way. So this is one of the few fields, and this is kind of a soapbox subject for me, Justin, so I apologize. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but we are one of the few fields of scientific endeavor right now where there is a genuine mystery that very few professionals are investigating. Right. There are very few PhDs in parapsychology working anymore. The J.B. Ryan labs were closed down. You do have the facility at Liverpool, England's um, Stoke. Uh, I want to say it is Hope Stanmore where Dr. Kieran O'Keefe was working. But for the most part, the greatest mystery of all is being investigated by people like us. Right. You know, and we are of varying degrees of professionalism. We've all seen those teams that come in. And we'll interpret every EMF fluctuation, every creaking floorboard, 
as something paranormal. And then there are those teams that set a higher bar for evidence. But when this mystery is finally cracked, and I don't think it will happen within our lifetimes, because I think that physics has yet to catch up with the phenomena that we're investigating. Right. But when it finally is solved, a lot of the data points for the uh, researchers that solve it will come from teams like ours and yours. You know, a bunch of dedicated amateurs that were trying to be as professional as possible that spend a lot of time in the dark investigating these kind of claims while huge chunks of the scientific community laughed at them. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I I agree 100%. I mean, and we may never come to the the realization of what we're searching. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's so far out of the, the perception of, of humanity to kind of know what happens after we kind of shed this, this mortal shell, if you will. And it, it may never happen. And if it does, I hope that humanity comes to a, a better realization of what they're doing to each other. I would definitely agree with, with your hope. I think that if you look at the history of the human race on a long enough time frame, though, relatively speaking, it was not so long ago that we were looking at the skies trying to figure out what the moon and stars were. True. What were the comets? What, you know? Yeah. Um, in 2,000 years' time, our understanding of this field, assuming humanity survives its various challenges as a species, I think our understanding of this field will be, it will make us look like those first cave dwellers. You know? Yeah. Look at how long it took from the Wright brothers first flying to landing on the moon or sending probes outside the solar system. Right. We have made such great strides in such a small amount of time. And this is a very exciting time to be alive in general and to be part of the paranormal research community because we have this opportunity to be investigating one of the last great scientific frontiers. Right. And there are, there are very few, um, professional researchers, I should really say academics that are in the way at this point. They're all studying other things. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks, uh, we are going to be going to our next break here. I've been talking to Richard Estep about In Search of the Paranormal. We will be right back after your paranormal headlines. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Hey, Parahands, Justin here with your Paranormal Headlines. These headlines are from AlteredDimensions.net. Police discover nearly 4,000 bladed weapons and evidence of satanic activity in booby-trapped Florida home. After reviewing CCTV security footage showing 47-year-old Nicole Ellen Frey DeKima cutting a neighbor's screen, police went to the woman's home to make the arrest. Inside, they found... Dakima brandishing a large sword with which she took a swipe at an arresting officer, missing his head by inches. Dakima was subdued five hours later after being shot twice with a non-lethal beanbag round from a shotgun and tasered. Neighbors described Dakima's Brooksville, Florida home as a house of horrors. Hernando County Sheriff's Office say inside the home they found 3,714 weapons, including knives, swords, machetes, and other bladed weapons. 
Police say each room of the trailer house contained at least 500 bladed weapons arranged so densely as to create a wall of weapons. Five officers were injured removing the weapons from the home. Police say the inside and outside of the home were booby-trapped with bladed weapons, knives, and blades arranged in the yard under blankets and embedded in the floors of the home. Police also found other oddities inside, including an altar surrounded with chicken bones and human skulls. Nikima was charged with assault as a law enforcement officer resisting arrest with violence, property damage, and three counts of probation violation. She was being held in the Hernando County Detention Center without bond. More Russian stone UFOs discovered. Researchers say the million-year-old disc-shaped relics hint at alien past. It was only a few months prior that Russian miners dug up an intriguing disc-shaped stone at Siberia's Kuznetsk Basin, Russia. Archaeologists were called in to examine the craft, which the excavators believed fell from space. The unusual object was perfectly circular with a dome-shaped top and weighed over 400 pounds. The depth at which the object was found hints that it could be older than mammoth bones found in the same area at a much shallower depth. This week, another disc-shaped stone object was found, a much bigger one. Vadim Chernobrov, head of Russia's UFOlogy and Cryptozoology Group, reported that his team unearthed a 14-foot disc stone at the Medvedtskaya Ridge region of the Zernovsky district in Volgograd. The object is perfectly symmetrical and one of dozens of similar fossilized discs the team has found near the site. One researcher noted that the discovery leads me to conclude that this UFO is a military drone, but it was probably damaged during the attack and got off course crashing on Earth. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. folks welcome back to paratruth radio my name is justin and i've been talking to richard Estep about his book in search of the paranormal now richard we are coming close to the end of the show here so i did want to give you a chance again to uh, tell everybody where they can find you find the books and all that good stuff certainly thanks justin my books are all available at amazon.com as well as more traditional resellers um, retailers, I should say. Um, but you can find my online home at richardestep.net. That's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-E-S-T-E-P.net. And I would be real happy to hear from uh, any of your listeners. They can email me and contact me through my site. All right. And then if, uh, if you could tell the listeners anything, uh, what would you tell them? If I could tell them anything at all, I would say that this is a really great time to be a part of the paranormal research community. I think that we are in the middle of a golden age where never have there been more people 
investigating the phenomena of, of, of ghosts and haunted houses, you know, mm. and I would ask you please to do it to the best of your critical abilities. Don't be one of those teams that simply goes and buys a couple of EMF meters and a video camera um, and goes out there and decides they know how to do this. Uh, research, study, learn, think critically, and see how you, and above all, publish your results too. Right. Find a way to put your uh, reports online so that the rest of us can share them and learn from them. Right. I would also go one step further and say do it respectively because there are people out there who will uh, get evidence and everything else and, and share it with the world without getting the okay from a family or uh, a business owner mm-hmm. with with out them saying, okay, it's okay to do that before they did that. So, um, I do agree 100%. Um, all right, uh, Richard, it has been a blast and I am glad that you were able to come on tonight. So everybody check out, uh, in search of the paranormal, Richard, thank you so much. And you have yourself a good night. And hopefully once that new book comes out, we will get you on again. Thank you, Justin. I would be real happy to come back. All right. Have a good night. You too. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks, that was Richard Estep, author of In Search of the Paranormal. Great guest, uh, great guy. As we were talking, you know, about through the paranormal field, there are just so many things going on right now, uh, even in respect to uh, regular paranormal and Christian uh, biblical po- prophecy. And to talk to somebody who is on this, the same mindset as I am, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when me and Eric are talking back and forth because we do debate things. Uh, coming from the same uh, mindset that I do, he, he has a lot of the same theories and all that. So I do encourage you guys to just have an open mind when you, you're listening and, uh, just, uh, just keep us, playing, you know, Paratruth Radio has been one of the best things uh, that Eric and I have started in these past eight years in the, in the paranormal community. So I do encourage you guys to always listen every week. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking to, well, I shouldn't say we, I should say I will be talking to Kay Carswell from the Deception Detection Show about the hollow earth theory. And, you know, one thing that uh, everybody knows about when Kay gets on a show with us, it's kind of like this. So, uh, it's gonna be a fun episode and, you know, I've never really done a whole lot of research into the Hollow Earth theory, so this will be a learning experience for me. Uh, I know it's gonna be a learning experience for Kay as well. Uh, you know, one thing that, uh, most people don't know is that there is a theory out there that, uh, people believe that our Earth is actually hollow. There's several layers of different, uh, planets if you were inside the earth as as people some people believe and that the the center of the earth is actually another sun and you know a lot of people believe that that might be where a lot of these extraterrestrial sightings are coming into play because of uh 
they're coming actually coming from underneath the earth not from another planet uh, i won't get too much into it this week because obviously me and Kay need something to talk about so uh on that note uh, everybody it has been a blast i hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as i did and uh hearing richard's different uh cases and and his his take on on the paranormal community so until next week my name's justin and we will talk to you guys same time same channel peace if you enjoyed this episode of parachutes radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes then you can listen to them on HD at our website, parachutesradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for brand new updates of our show every day. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) I don't know.